coming up, an excellent lockdown fantasy road trip question from you. Taking a couple of jerry cans on tour. Right across the Nullarbor. <laughs> you know you want this. Where does this sit exactly in the domain of good ideas and fundamentally bad ones? It's hardly the proper bogan odyssey, like driving a caravan all the way to DP Creek, but you will be able to sniff that telltale ammonia en route, depending, of course, on prevailing winds. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that's up there now, dude. This question is inspired by you. If you are a resident of Australia's only living lockdown cemetery, Adelaide, and you own a 2010 VE Holden Commodore Sportswagon SV6, <laughs> and your name is Linton Ritchie. You have produced a lot of content over the years, but I can't seem to find anything on carrying extra fuel. What is the best way to carry extra fuel if you aren't planning on towing a trailer? I am planning a road trip from Adelaide to Perth over the Christmas period. Zombie apocalypse and politicians willing. I haven't done the trip before and plan to stick to the sealed sections the whole way. There are plenty of fuel stops, but I would prefer to carry 25 to 50 litres of additional fuel in the event of the worst case scenario. Since we will be using our 2010 Holden Commodore SV6 wagon for the trip, I don't see the point of towing a trailer as it's just the wife and I. I am not a huge fan of the coefficient of drag, I think he means, effects of a roof rack, not forgetting the fuel consumption penalty and having fuel exposed to the summer temps. Unfortunately, it seems as if my only option is a roof rack. Any thoughts? Please feel free to publish if you think it's worth it. Well, thank you very much, Linton. Now, before we get started, a pro tip on all of this confidentiality, feel free to publish stuff, okay? For all of you dudes and dudettes who are writing this and that indignantly to journalists here and friggin' afar. You don't actually get to give permission to publish. Like, confidentiality doesn't work like that. And you need to be aware of it because it can so bite you upon the buttocks. The recipient has to agree to keep something confidential before it becomes a binding contract. Like, if you send anything, like anything, to a journalist, the genie is out of the bottle, dude. So expect to see it published. And before you send it, think about the friggin' consequences. So, discretion is all I'm saying. Could be the better part of valour, at least in some cases. Not this one, obviously, but I'm just saying, as a general rule, not all journos are as compassionate and kind and caring as me. Now, frankly, this fuel-carrying proposal is a dead-set mistake. Carrying the fuel is the worst-case scenario. I'm going to tell you why and run you through the logistics of the trip, and at the very end, as we said indignantly to our father, all stuck together in the back of the car, on endless trips here and there. At the very end, I will give you a bonus tip on some other things that you should perhaps obsess about instead, preparation-wise, for a trip such as this. I've done this trans shitsville trip on the Nullarbor once, 
from east to west. And I've also driven right across the sun, the country and the country <laughs> through the very dead centre from Steep Point out there in the west to the Knee of Sid and also just for my past sins from Darwin to Adelaide like five or six times. Twice at 60 kilometres an hour. It's amazing that men can live at that speed during economy challenges. And that has to be the world's most boring transcontinental drive. Except, of course, if the inland sea ever comes back. I'd go out there again and see that. Anyway, across the Nullarbor, I was running this risk management exercise for an automotive industry client as a paid consultant. Like Australia's second most hated motoring journalist, Joshua Dowling, was writing the story and it was as if Satan woke up one day in hell and decided to get the both of us together to run an experiment on the effect of highly concentrated automotive evil on the great Australian bite. Truly amazing stuff. Anyway. Assignments like that, they happen because car companies, they want to do fluffy stories with high-profile publications, but they also want to make sure that there are no disasters en route, which might easily become epic public perception hand grenades with loose pins reputation-wise. And that's kind of what I spent my time doing before the GFC, and then, of course, car company budgets imploded and that aspect of my business kind of evaporated inconveniently, which was very interesting indeed. Like, ultimately, I don't miss it. It was a blessing in disguise for me because they were often such comprehensive cocks to work for. So, look, carrying 50 litres of petrol inside a car, if you really don't have to, it's insane. It might be emotionally reassuring, like just in case we've got this extra fuel, honey, but it's an irrationally stupid thing to do in practice unless it's absolutely necessary because petrol is properly dangerous shit, dude. And in this case, there's nowhere inside that wagon in which you can adequately restrain two jerry cans. Like, there's just not. So in a high mechanism crash. Like, let's say you swerve around one of those friggin' rodents on the coat of arms and it all goes fairly well for Skippy. Like you swerve around Skippy and he's perfectly okay, but then you hit a tree instead of the preferred option, which would be recover control and get back on the road. The crash is survivable, so that's good. Like, VE Commodore is a pretty safe car, very, very slick B-pillar design in that vehicle, if memory serves. But despite the survivability impact-wise, you've got these two unrestrained 20 kilo projectiles propelled by inertial forces right towards the back of your head at roughly double the speed of a serious punch. And... Just for kicks, like as if that wasn't enough, just for kicks, they're full of this energy-dense and highly volatile liquid that evaporates enthusiastically in air to form an extremely combustible mixture. Basically, this is the recipe for turning a commo wagon into the world's biggest Molotov cocktail. Okay? Bad idea. It's also, petrol this is, is also a declared dangerous substance, meaning you should not get this stuff on you or breathe the fumes. And okay, this is a low probability event, 
but the consequences are right into the red zone if it actually happens. Like, unlikely but serious if the planets align in the worst possible way out there, okay? And even if this doesn't happen, at the very end of your trip, you're going to be left with two full cans of fuel. Two full 20-litre jerry cans, dude, which is also quite dangerous to handle and store in the absence of all of the systematic protections which are hidden in plain sight at every filling station to stop the likes of you and me blowing ourselves up unwittingly, right? Now, I hope never to test this, but my working hypothesis on all of this is that dying in the burns unit or in intensive care after some on-site jerry can mishap involving petrol is not fun. Static electricity and a little bit of vapour is really all it takes, okay? And most people completely underestimate the danger of handling petrol. It's friggin' dangerous stuff, dude. So. In your case, Linton, I would strongly advise you to be a tad more rational on the fuel front, mate. Do not carry this fuel. It's a bad idea. Not in the trailer, not on a roof rack, and certainly never inside the vehicle, unless you're carrying a really small quantity back to fuel up the mower or the whippersnipper or something. It's a very bad idea to carry a lot of fuel a long distance unless you absolutely need to. And, dude, you absolutely don't on this trip. I'll show you right now, shall I? As somebody who used to spend a lot of his life, his business, planning trips, okay, detailed trips in the corporate world, I can tell you with my hand on my cold black friggin' heart that it is generally viewed as bad in these situations if anybody, no matter how hated, dies during your event. Generally, that's a bad thing, okay? So we used to take steps to ensure that that didn't happen and then overlay the whole thing with a whole you know, logistic framework of getting from A to B via A and a half and, you know, getting to C at the end of the day, everyone intact and all on time and stuff like that. And it involved all of this other moving parts behind the scenes thing like where are the boats going to land on the beach and what's the tide going to be like and can we actually drive onto those barges at that time or where are the planes going to land and how are we going to decant the guests from the vehicles to the planes and are they going to meet their outward flights and where's the paramedic going to ride and what are we going to do if someone gets lost and what are we going to do if someone misses the boat and all of that shit. So getting one single Commodore VE SV6 sport wagon from Adelaide to Perth via the Nullarbor, which is kind of bitumen the whole way, that does seem like something of a walk in the park, planning-wise. And I would further suggest that the place to start is with a realistic assessment of how far you can drive on one tank of fuel. Because, yeah, you can carry fuel, but if you don't have to, it's just unnecessarily dangerous. And there are plenty of blue singlet adventures, you know, proper dingo piss creek stuff, where carrying fuel is kind of mandatory. And here I would suggest that diesel is far safer to carry than petrol because of the whole volatility flashpoint scenario. It's much safer to deal with diesel out there on the road. So there's that. But anyway, in this case, the official data for that car, which is coming up on 12 years old now, is 10.3 litres per hundred on the combined cycle test and 8.1 for the highway test, all right? So 
quite conservatively, if it's running in a decent state of tune and not just completely clapped out and you don't drive it like you're sort of half cut, you could get 10 litres per hundred pretty easily on the highway, I'd suggest. And this thing's got a 71 litre tank, so you're going to get 700-ish Ks out of a tank across the Nullarbor, because it's pretty flat across the Nullarbor, and that's without doing anything completely outrageous on the hyper-miling front. If you just do 100 the whole way, you'll probably return about 10, especially running as a slick, you know, without a bull bar and a roof rack and without towing a trailer and all of that nonsense. The fuel economy should be pretty good at conventional highway speeds. And then of course what you've got to do is you've got to get your range planning and integrate that with the availability of fuel en route. And interestingly enough there are 12 different refueling points across the Nullarbor and it does seem like the big outrageous adventure if all you ever do is drive around the suburbs or something. But really there's quite a lot of fuel available. And you can go to Google Maps and check this out but the Nullarbor kind of starts, depending on how you want to do it, at Seduna, and it kind of ends in the west at Norseman, okay? And they're interesting places you can stop between Adelaide and Seduna, and certainly there's a nice roundabout way via Esperance and Albany uh, to get to Perth if you want to from Norseman, but fuel is readily available to the east of Seduna and to the west of Norseman, okay? So no special planning required there. And if you look at the different fueling stops. Most of them are really conservative distances, like 47 k's, 85 k's, 13 whole kilometers. You could just about walk that if you weren't you know, a motoring journalist, because that would be a breach of the code of ethics. But from the border village roadhouse to Eucla, 13 k's. Like, I wouldn't be stopping at Eucla to refuel if I just filled up here, dude. Okay, so, and the way I look at this, all right, is how much redundancy is built into the system, okay? How many fuel stops can fail? Like how many fuel stops can be out of petrol before this becomes a problem for you? Okay, so if you do have 700 Ks of cruising range, then one, two, three, four, five, six refueling stops can fail and you will still get to Madura if you start at Seduna with a full tank, okay? and. I don't know the last time that all six of these refueling stops failed. I suspect the answer to that question is never. And it's even better if you limp into Madura with just 50 Ks remaining, you know, suck it on vapor, then one, two, three, three refueling stops can fail and you'll still get to Norseman and you'll have a tidy amount of fuel in reserve to do that because it's only like just over 500 k's and you can do 700 in the mighty Como. And these are big legs, absolutely, like 164 k's from Kagum to Balladonia and then from Balladonia to Norseman is the longest leg on the whole trip, 190 k's. But these legs independently, they're not a major impost in the context of the fuel that you have available. And you're obviously not going to start at Sejuna and hope to get to Madura without stopping at any of these places because it's a freaking long way and you'll be bored shitless and you want to get out at these roadhouses and have a look because that's half of the magic, right? Like, you definitely do want to get out and check them out. Have a burger at each one with... I don't know, bacon and egg, but not friggin' pineapple, because that's a travesty. Beetroot is okay, tomato is okay, all the veggies are okay. Gotta be tomato sauce though, friggin' 
barbecue sauce. Who has that? Come on. You could do the burger challenge right across the Nullarbor, really, couldn't you? Because I'm sure each of these venues prides itself on the calibre of its burger. And what else are you going to do? You're going to look at nothing for 1.84 hours and then stop at the Border Village Roadhouse. You've got to have a burger. I mean, you'll be starving. You've been sitting on your ass for nearly two hours. You're going to need the calories and the grease. Come on. And if you do that, take the burger challenge, the Trans Nullarbor Burger Challenge. When you get back, look me up because I want you to help me with my research for my upcoming bestseller, The Roadhouse Diet. Get fat, stack on 20 kilos fast, <laughs> and keep it on, dude. Tell me you don't want this. I do sincerely hope that helps, Linton. Now, because everyone who knows me calls me Mr. Helpful behind my back, here's what you need to obsess about instead, dude, on a trip such as this. First up, you tell your local, trusted, independent mechanic that you are about to do this trip, and you get him to give your car a detailed, extensive, comprehensive friggin' once-over with that travel in mind, paying close attention to everything that could fail and sideline you inside the freaking banjo zone you know, hoses and tubes and radiators and drive belts, diff and transmission oil, coolant, bleed the brakes, check the battery condition, et freaking cetera. A detailed health check for your car. Like, your car is coming up on 12 years old, and the second law of thermodynamics has been having what I would loosely categorise as prison intercourse with that car the whole time, metaphorically. Driving across the big empty is not actually that hard on a car, it's just that you don't want anything to fail on you that far out from support. Some things that would be merely inconvenient if they were to fail out in the Adelaide suburbs, they evolve into a supersized sandpaper dildo of metaphoric inconvenience when they fail, near the tidal confluence of Dingo Piss Creek and the friggin' Great Southern Ocean, dude. Like, it's just inconvenient. And with this in mind, I would suggest that if the mighty Como gets that remedial work from some decent mechanic, the only thing you need to obsess about then is the tyres, right? Because these remain the least reliable component on vehicles, even today, even with all the technological advancement. Like, getting one flat tyre on the Nullarbor is kind of okay, but getting two in a row, that's a 40-grit chafing issue down there metaphorically. Nobody wants that. Worst case scenario, you know, flat number two happens halfway between Baladonia and Norseman. Yes, 95 k's each way. You have to flag down a passing motorist who might have a bone through his nose and, who knows, the bat pumpy on his lap and the sincere desire to make new friends such as you. It's going to take him like an hour to deliver your message and an hour for the tow truck to arrive and an hour to get back to the roadhouse and an hour or three or five days for sundry fucking about. And that is if your problem doesn't turn into a deleted scene from Deliverance, right? Subject, of course, to your saviour not smoking some spliff that you can see from space en route and forgetting all about you. 
You know, back before the GFC, on my trans Nullarbor trip, we are following silver medal Dowling, right? And we are in a van, right? So glamorous. Me and a paramedic and a PR dude for endless hours in a van, all stuck together, farting and belching. It was just, it's emotional, right? Paramedic dude is driving at this particular moment in time and I'm sitting there in the front seat, kind of bored shitless. And second most hated journo, Joshua, is overtaking this old shitbox land cruiser. And he's done this kind of thing before and it's a totally conservative, legal, safe overtaking move. And we're all out to lunch a bit mentally, as you do on long trips. And then, no warning, right? Shitbox Land Cruiser just swerves hard right and nearly takes out Silver Medal Dowling. Nobody saw that coming. Josh is actually a pretty good steerer, right? With good reactions and a lot of training and he swerves right just at the correct time and an incipient disaster turns into a really, really near miss. Like we all nearly got to do our jobs and nobody wanted that. Meanwhile, back in the van, right? WTF all round, basically. And we're preparing to overtake with extreme caution, obviously. And when we do, as we overtake, the problem becomes crystal clear, right? Dreadlock mummy is in the driver's seat and hippie baby, about three years of age, all of three, is standing on the seat and of course, hippie baby is steering because play that funky banjo, white boy. Hippie baby was obviously so surprised seeing silver metal Dowling appear in the window in such a distinctive vehicle that he just mm, turned and looked and unwittingly gave the wheel a bit of a tug. And as we drew alongside Shitbox Land Cruiser, my eyes met with Dreadlock Mummies. And she shrugged and smiled as if to say, Kids, what can you do? And I thought, yeah, this is why intelligent extraterrestrial life remains away. Anyway, this kind of thing can happen, dude. Once they tow your vehicle, with you in it, in the tow truck, whatever, back to the roadhouse with your two flat tires. I do not know how long it's gonna take them to organize a new tire or two at the roadhouse. You might wanna settle in and read the shortest book on earth a few times. Things to see and do within walking distance of Belladonia. Yes. Alternatively, you could spend under 200 bucks and just carry a 12 volt compressor, kinda of like uh, that one. Pro tip, you emphatically do not need the 600 buck ARB 4W Ding air compressor, paid for by JobKeeper. A 99 buck Chinese jobby from Amazon is gonna be fine for your intended use. Get a tire plug kit as well, just like that. This is a great mobility maximizing combination, these two things, okay? And a lot safer than carrying some unrestrained second spare tire inside the wagon, which is just the projectile from hell in a crash, obviously. With a plug kit and a compressor, you can often fix a flat tire without even jacking up the car and removing the wheel, and you will be mobile again in minutes, as opposed to running on the spare in an hour 
maybe, if you're particularly good at it. And let's not forget, to get to most spares, you have to unpack the entire car, which is going to be kind of full of your shit. And then hoping like hell you don't get another flat for 800 k's or something. Prevention is better than cure, is what I'm saying, so obsess about the tyre pressures as well. Placard maximum plus 10% is going to be fine for this application. High speed, highway type running. Cold inflation pressure, placard maximum plus 10%. Check them before you set off every morning. Make it a habit. And speaking of habits, every time you get out of the car, just walk around. Do a ceremonial lap of your vehicle. Make that a ritual too. Look at the tyres and check any that look even slightly flat. You know, radial tyres don't look especially flat when they're half flat, two-thirds flat. So you've got to have like a proper look. And use a gauge, like that one there, and that's pretty good if you are even vaguely concerned about any one tyre. And while you're doing that, why don't you just get down on all fours and have a look underneath the car for anything leaking. A little bit of water dripping out of the aircon, quite okay. Anything else leaking, quite not okay. Good idea to check for anything that might have leaked out of the car overnight in the morning too. So that could be another ritual for these big trips. And check the oil and the coolant every day before you set off. All I'm saying here is that most breakdowns are absolutely preventable. And on a trip like this, you'd want to prevent them. I'll have links to the uh, items, the compressor, the plug kit, the gauge in the description. It's under 200 bucks for all three, okay? And they don't take up too much space in the boot either. If you use the compressor out there on the road, keep the engine running in order not to flatten the battery, because fixing the tyre and then being unable to start the engine is rather a poor exchange of problems, in my estimation. Then just drive conservatively, dude, and keep checking the instrument cluster for warning lights, and keep looking as far ahead as possible down the road, because distance gives you time to avert incipient disasters. And dreadlock mummy is doubtless still out there, dude. Imagine all the kiddies she is taught to drive by now. What a public service. To all those dreadlock daddies, all those kiddies, without ever once changing in-laws. That's just how family dynamics work out there. You can do this trip without the extra fuel, Linton, right? You can. It's completely unnecessary, dude. The fuel, not the trip. The trip is actually quite an interesting one, once, if you want to appreciate the staggering size of this formerly great country, and it's overall inaccessibility by sea. And that's interesting, even if you don't run into dreadlock mummy. <laughs>